Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the elusive Tyler Roberts goal of the podcast. You took your time. And I'm joined by the sumptuous Rodrigo setup of the podcast, Joe Hill. Great, but now learn how to press. And finally, the Urente tribute to Pontus Janssen of the podcast. Lol, it's Tom Woodhead. Tom, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm not too bad. Uh, it's interesting that you mentioned... Um that you compared me to Pontus Janssen <laughs> foraging forward because uh, I, I once wrote something where I compared Pontus Janssen's forays into midfield to someone staggering to the toilet covering their mouth in a pub when they're about to be sick. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as I watched this game in a pub last night, I did feel a bit like that this morning. Really? Was, <laughs> a, was it a, a heavy session? It wasn't that heavy, but you know, it's, it's it was heavier than most have been. How was the experience of watching live in a pub? Well, I mean, it was it was a bit not not a letdown, but a bit of an anticlimax because the pub we ended up going to was quite dead, and they weren't playing the commentary. It was just like Muzak in the background, so we probably would have had a better atmosphere just watching it in our houses, to be honest. But um, it was nice to be out and about. Joe Hill, a man who also frequents pubs, usually on the other side of the <laughs> piano. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm pretty good, thanks. Um, I'm actually going to the pub on Sunday to watch uh, the last game of the season. Um, with all my fantasy Premier League mates and all um, talk about fantasy Premier League and all be very sad like that. Um, <laughs> so that, that that should be quite fun. It'll be nice to uh, yeah to watch the game back in the pub. But um, yesterday it was yeah it was a bit of a tough watch, wasn't it? It was uh, it wasn't the easiest thing, but um, obviously it's great to come away with the three points. But um, particularly the first half, it was really quite difficult to watch at times. Well, let's start in the time-honoured fashion of saying how it feels. And you've already given a bit of a suggestion that it didn't feel great. So do you want to expand on that? Yeah, I think it was, I mean, a lot of it was the pressing for me. The pressing was really frustrating. And I think that limited us um, in the first half. Um, I mean, I don't just want to single out someone from the off, but Rodrigo was really frustrating to watch in the pressing. And um Southampton were just able to carve us open um, through the middle. The centre-backs just driving through the middle and they just looked so much more up for it. And I think obviously 
the fans were a bit of a factor um, at the beginning, certainly the first five or ten minutes. It was just to watch from home anyway. It was really quite shocking how how um, much the fans can seem to influence the game because the Southampton players all seem really G'd up by the fans. Um, and so maybe Leeds were just getting used to that again um, after not having that for a year or only once in a year with the Chelsea match. Um but yeah, they just never seemed to find their feet um, in the first half anyway. I mean, I think it was about 20-odd minutes in that we really started to get possession for a, a minute or two at a time. Um, but yeah, it wasn't until the second half that we really showed any promise. So it was quite difficult, yeah. Tom, you mentioned that you were at the pub and so maybe the first half didn't feel as bad as it, as it felt for everyone else <laughs> at home. But uh, how do you feel about the game? I think that's maybe the case. Um, it felt like a bad game to me. Uh, when I was watching it, it didn't. I didn't necessarily feel like we were loads worse than Southampton or anything like that. It just felt like a bad game of football to me in in the first half. And I've watched back. Um, I was having some problems with the first half uh, playback video I had, but I managed to. I watched like the first fifteen minutes, and then I watched the whole of the second half back uh, about an hour ago. And I, I don't know. Um, maybe maybe that's given me a false picture of the game. But I thought we were pretty. We were fairly decent second half. Um, I, Southampton didn't really create any proper chances apart from uh, from set pieces, um, and yeah, the first half it just felt like a scrappy, pressy game. Like the kind of, I, I get the impression that Southampton like try like turning games that way because um, that that's that's half their thing, isn't it? Is is that pressing and making people shit themselves at the back? So um, they succeeded, but you you immediately noticed, um, or I did when I was watching it about the second half the pressing was just nowhere near as intense from them yeah we've got a question here from from Brolin 8 the pie who said is there a pattern developing here against specific opposition he puts 4-4-2 in brackets or is it a tactical early phase adjustment defensively pressed some limited risky opposition xg transitioning to leads increasing in attacking dominance pressing and increased xg goals and victory um I think I think this might be a little bit too kind on leads um, because I do feel as though a lot of the teams that we played recently have just have, have played quite well early on and then fallen away a bit because simply because of um, I, I guess tiredness and, and the fact it's late on in the season and the leads obviously are playing quite a, a direct transitional game um, and so when those spaces open up then then leads are going to look a little bit better but even yesterday I feel as though this may be a bit of a stretch that we were comfortable in the end because um, even by the the um, stats bomb xg figures we the, the figures were I can't remember 1.2 to 1.3 or something so very close and I think a, a big chunk of that for leads came at the end in the in the actual injury time when we got the eventual um, second goal um, and also I, I looked at the um, post-shot XG as well which suggested that it wasn't even that Southampton had taken you know a lot of chances and not created decent chances out of them the post-shot XG they actually did better than us which suggests they probably um, from the chances they created uh, were a little bit unlucky not to score but uh, that you know that's that's very much of a muchness but I do feel as though that at, we, at the moment these games are sort of falling for us quite nicely we're getting the first goal and uh, and then we're able to to really plunder the space that's left when teams are pushing forward to try and get um try and get an equalizer and um yeah I think it's it's working out fine I didn't think we were particularly impressive yesterday but um you know we we came out with the win so I suppose that's all all well and good um 
I don't know if anyone has any thoughts about about this question in particular, whether or not we we think it's a sort of smart tactical move on our part or whether or not we are being slightly lucky. I think maybe it's just staying in the games a bit longer than we, we might do at the start of the season. Um, just keeping it nil-nil for a bit longer, even if we're not playing so well. Um, so yesterday, Southampton could have scored in the first couple of minutes. There was that header from Shea Adams, I think it was, um, who just towered over Phillips. Um, and then just, fr- I feel like there's been a few other games like that. The Burnley one was a bit like that, that we could have conceded quite early in the first half. Um, the Man City one, obviously, even though that was a bit of a freak game. Um, the Man United one. I think, I don't know if it's uh, luck or if it's actual uh, defensive stability, but we just seem to be holding out a little bit longer um, until we're conceding the first goal. And if we're not playing well in the first half, it gets to nil-nil. Then I think we've we've got the legs, like you say, towards the end of the season. We've shown that we're the fittest team in the division and maybe that's... Uh, why we seem to do much better in the second half just because a high-pressing team like Southampton tend to just fall away at around 60-70 minutes. Mm. And I think another thing we mentioned in the group chat this week was that actually there is a pattern between Leeds getting first goals and and the game turning out favourably for them um, because the the games where we've lost, I think, where people expected us to win have been those games where the opposition have got the goals first. So uh, Brighton scored first in, in both um, games we played against them and we never looked like scoring once they were ahead. Same is true with Wolves, actually, who I think for long stretches we actually looked better than. Um, but once they got the goal, we just didn't look like we were going to get back into the game because they were able to sit deep and, and hold hold off um, the, any sort of counter-attacking edge. So, yeah, I think that kind of comes into the luck side of things as well. You know, as you've mentioned, like if Shea Adams puts that ball in in, in, in the beginning, that would, be, would have been quite a different game. Felt the same as maybe true of the first um, game against Southampton too, although I think they folded over quite easily in the second half. But again, if they pick up an early goal and then and then they're able to sit on a lead a little bit, maybe things look a little bit different. And um, yeah, I think that's very much just the the way that Leeds are playing at the moment. They're playing quite pragmatic football and, and looking to hit on the break. And uh, at the moment, it's, it's working out fine. Um, but yeah, I did I did feel a little bit even even some of the recent games where I think where we have been sort of riding our luck a bit, it felt as though the game yesterday was maybe one of the uh, the more egregious examples of that. But I also think that game was a, a little bit of an outlier insofar as, you know, strange changes were made at, at the midpoint. And um, it did feel very much as though changes have been made before that game as well. We we knew that um, obviously the, there's the whole Kiko Casilla conundrum uh, and uh, and that rumbles on but clearly Melier was was being rested we already knew that Robin Koch and Matthias Click were going to get a break so they weren't playing in those two games and then it seems as though a few of our players who are playing in the Euros have been given a sort of lighter schedule as well so whether or not that comes into it um, as well needs to be uh, I think caveated but you mentioned there Joe the um, Rodrigo in the in the midfield pressing um we made a big thing on the previous podcast about saying maybe we won't see rodrigo in midfield ever again because uh, it does feel as though his his position only really works for leeds in, in when he's playing as a nine uh, obviously that wasn't the case but um sam had a question saying rodrigo in midfield our pressing discuss um you've already suggested that you weren't the biggest fan of it yeah it was just a really tough watch to be honest i think Particularly in the the second half of the season, what we're seeing um, when we're pressing is a lot. Well, I think anyways, there's a there's a lot more rotation between the forwards, uh, say five players, the front five players, where um, 
Bamford will comfortably switch on to the right back if if necessary if he's in that position and then Harrison or whoever will switch with him and um I think Rodrigo just looked completely lost in terms of rotations in in the pressing in terms of who he was going to press there were quite a few times when he just ended up right next to Bamford um almost pressing the same player and wasn't sure whether Bamford was coming or going and you know, I think that you just need to develop a, a good understanding between the two players. Um, and I think that Roberts showed that a lot clearer when, when he came on. I know he only came on for 15 minutes and uh, we were 1-0 up at that point. But he just seemed a lot more switched on in terms of who he was marking and when and when he was going to switch players. Um, and it, it just really hindered our, our midfield. And like I said earlier, I think... Southampton, like Vestergaard, uh, was just able to drive through the middle. And you put in the chat, John, that we just made him look like Maradona because <laughs> we did. It was just ridiculous how much he was able to do that. And um, I think that was really paramount as to why we couldn't get out our own half and why Southampton just looked so good um, in the first half was just because of that pressing with from Rodrigo and swapping with Bamford. I was getting very frustrated with Rodrigo as well. Um, I must admit, in in terms of his play on the ball, um, I hadn't noticed how well he played in that second half uh, in possession um, until I watched the game back. And I thought he did play very, very, very well in possession in the second half. Um, but yeah, in terms of his pressing, there's, there's a he just kind of looks listless and and it, it's horrible to say it, but a little bit uninterested in it. Um, one of the, it's almost like he doesn't get one of the sort of central. Bielsen sort of tenets which is that when you press if it does you know if it doesn't succeed straight away you keep pressing um and it feels like a lot of the time Rodrigo will go in nominal nominally to press it will fail the player will get away from him a bit then he'll just sort of stop whereas I don't think any other player on our, on our team does that even the one you know some of the players are better at pressing than others but the the key thing is you have to keep running and I'm not really sure how he's able to get away with performances where he's not doing that because it feels like you know Bielsa 101 you have to keep running um but I, I don't I, you know I don't know if this is I mean this must be something that every time he has a meeting with Bielsa Bielsa must be telling him no you have to keep following your man or you you know you have to keep up the intensity of the press but I I, I don't know if it's an inclination thing or a physique thing or what but you, you would think okay he's you know he's 30 years old but he's not you know Pablo Hernandez was able to do it well enough as a 34 year old in the championship so I would have thought that even though he's had injuries over the years he should be physically capable of at least doing better than he is doing in terms of the pressing yeah so it's, it's an interesting one isn't it so sort of anecdotally it feels as though whenever you play five aside with your friends you're, you're or or any form of, of, of amateur football you'll you'll always notice that most people operate under the principle it's much easier to run when you're going forward than it is when you're going back and he <laughs> yeah. seems to he seems to fulfill that sort of idea for for me as well because he has no problem whatsoever running forward when we're attacking and and yet he very very quickly gives up on the on the press when he's going back and i think it just it leaves us with so many problems um and yeah we, look we, we can get away with it for teams like 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 Southampton to a certain extent, um, but th- there's been plenty of games this season where we haven't got away with it, and you could argue that the, the period we had in the middle of the season was the result of that. I mean, the six two 
loss to Manchester United was a, a game where we played with Rodrigo in midfield and against better teams I just don't think you get away with that and so for me the confusion is is, is that it's very palpably clear to me that that the pressing with Rodrigo just doesn't work and I don't understand what the solution is supposed to be I don't know whether or not Bielsa is kind of thinking okay give him long enough then maybe he'll just pick it up or whether or not it's just kind of Bielsa thinking we can get other players to pick up the slack. There was a few times in the second half where where Rodrigo was just being covered by his teammates all over the place. You couldn't even see him in the pressing sequence, and um, I just I just don't think it's I just don't think it's fair on the rest of the team to to have to put in a huge amount of effort to press. Um, across the the pitch and if as soon as one person doesn't do that then the press falls to pieces but they're still pressing as hard anyway I think it, it's just a really bizarre sort of situation to be in I think yeah I think the idea of Bielsa saying oh um, the other players in the team will pick up you know will kind of cover the deficiencies that doesn't strike me as plausible it doesn't strike me as um, something that Bielsa would say or think um, and especially when you play a man marking system in modern football it only works because we do run this much right like if and and if one player doesn't do it then it's not a man marking system anymore is it because one of them one player is not not going to be tight to their man so yeah it's 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 really frustrating because you can see he brings us so much in possession i think um if it, and, and and he doesn't need to be as good a presser as click or roberts i don't think but if he was just you know if he would just lift his level a little bit, I think it would help a lot. I, I I do wonder if maybe, I mean, it's a bit of a stretch to be honest, but if if maybe he would step it up a little bit if there were fans in the stadium. Um, I know there were yesterday, but not Leeds fans. You know, people like if, if the entire stadium went mental because he wasn't chasing a player back or conversely, if the entire stadium went mental because he chased a player and, and he got that kind of positive affirmation, I wonder whether that would sort of change his mindset a little bit. Yeah, I, to be honest, I think it's probably just an age thing. I just think that because he's because of his injuries and because of you know just the fact that he is he 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 obviously has had those issues where he's been constantly coming back from injuries where you have to get fit again and you go through that phase of just becoming unfit and match fit and, and going over. I just wonder whether or not he just he just can't play at that, at that intensity and so he has to sort of make that decision about what what it is that he goes for and what he doesn't. But I think the thing for me is that I wonder whether or not Bielsa because he recognises the the off ball stuff. It just has a bit of a tendency to overlook the on-ball stuff. And I don't think that were we to have signed him, well, were we to have looked at him without Bielsa having all the background of, of, you know, Rodrigo being a great Spanish player who's played in Champions League, etc. Whether or not if he'd have just scouted him blind, whether or not he would have wanted a player like Rodrigo in his team, um, which again is being wildly speculative, as you said before, but there clearly is some kind of mismatch there. And and for me, in in terms of the long run, the the big question is like, how do we we expect this to end? I, I can't see this ending particularly well I think we'll we'll do well in games when we play against teams like Southampton who get tired and and a bit unlucky in front of goal but then when we're playing against the top six and we're trying to squeeze Bamford and Rodrigo into the same team I just can't see it working yeah it, it is it is as you say it's a conundrum and there isn't an obvious solution but I am fairly sure that Bielsa will have an idea of what of what of either what he wants to change or or a slightly different idea than we do about what it, exactly what it is he's trying to accomplish with Rodrigo. I mean, obviously we've signed him now, so and when I'm not, I'm, I doubt we'd be we wouldn't get anything like the same money if we tried to sell him. So 
it probably does make sense to at least explore different ways of trying to integrate him. You know, he's here now and, and he, he can bring a lot in the right situation. Yeah, Joe, I'll bring you in on this before we move on because <laughs> I don't want to make the whole podcast about Rodrigo. But um, what do you take? What's your take on the sort of future of Rodrigo at Leeds? I think the thing that I wanted to add just just before I answer that was that I think if this game did mean something, um, then I don't think Bielsa would have played Biel uh, would have played Rodrigo in that role. Um, I think possibly it was a roll of the dice from Bielsa. Um, we saw that he tried a few experiments um, or did a few unusual things um, with the the goalie and taking KP off, etc. So. I d- part of me does just think that it was one last roll of the dice to see if Rodrigo can start a game and play 70, 80 minutes that way. And obviously it didn't go so well. Um, but in terms of his future at Leeds, um, we have s- sort of, ch- we have chatted about this in our group chat a little bit. Um, and I do think I agree with, with you chaps, which is that I think he's only going to be a nine uh, going forward, especially if we make a signing in the summer in midfield. I just can't see him playing that role next season. I just don't think it's going to work. And the optimist inside of me likes to think that with a full preseason um, and a little bit of rest time for him this summer, that he could play that role. But I just can't really see it happening, to be honest. And I think he did show that he was really good as a nine um, against Burnley. And I just, yeah, I think if we make a signing in the summer, I just can't see him playing anywhere else other than nine. And that might be exclusively off the bench if Bamford is still fit. But um, that's just where I see it. Yeah. Well, let's move on to more positive things. We had a lot of questions about halftime changes, I think just because they were such off-the-wall changes. So there's a few different things to talk about from there. So AW said, uh, explain why the changes at halftime worked so well. Um, I guess the question is, did we think the changes at halftime worked so well? Was it was it not just simply the case that we held out long enough for, for Leeds to sort of start turning the screw? What do you make of that, Joe? Yeah, that's that's my opinion as well, to be honest. I saw um, a couple of other questions um, talking about Strauch and how he played the role better than KP. Um, and I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that um, as much as you might be disappointed to hear, because I know we're big Strauch fans on All Stats, aren't we? But um, watching it back this this morning, I just don't think that he did do it better than KP. And I don't think that Phillips did it better than Strauch either. I think it's just, it was the ultimate cliche in that it was a game of two halves, and um, both halves were extremely different. And if you look at what Strauch ha- actually did um, in the second half, there's a few nice passes, a few nice interceptions, and a couple of those diagonal long balls, um, which were really good, um, and he pulled them off. But I think Calvin Phillips would do exactly the same thing in that position, to be honest. I think um, Strauch was as good as Phillips um, was. I don't think he was necessarily better. And I, I feel the same about the other half-time changes. I don't think that um, Berardi um, was phenomenal. Um, and I just think it's more to do with the two game states of the of the halves, really. I mean, obviously, especially after we, we scored, that's the, the game state klaxon going off. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think just I think it's more for me that Southampton were really intense in the first half and uh, not so much in the second. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the, the Berardi substitution, it wasn't tactical, was it? It was just sentimental. Um, and I think that's fine. I think it's nice that Berardi got to play 45 minutes in the Premier League. It's a good story. Um one of my favourite moments of when we got promoted last year was 
Berardi on the top of that bus and they said, oh, how do you feel? And he just went, I feel fucking great! (laughs) (laughs) His legs in plaster. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so for that moment alone, I think he deserved at least 45 minutes in the Premier League and he was neat and tidy. Um, What what really struck me when I was re-watching the game was how little I noticed Berardi. Um, uh, As we know, you know, Llorente tries to do things a lot and make make an impact on the game and he's he's a player that you notice a lot whereas and I think Berardi obviously used to be that way as well but it's remarkable how much calmer he is than than when he first signed for us this is not me saying let's you know give Berardi a new contract in the summer and make <laughs> him the mainstay of our defense or anything but um it, it was nice to see him come on and just just calmly go about his job um and then yeah I agree with Joe and I agree with Joe about Strauch. I thought he played fine. Uh, not not really any better or worse than Phillips. Um, I was paying a little bit of attention because I think someone said it on one of the mo- recent podcasts. I think it might have been Jacob um, that we maybe play slightly differently in build up when we have Strauch in there because he's left footed um, as opposed to Phillips. And I think there is something in that. Um, I think it's sort of it's not. Some of the angles are just different, and uh, the the positions that he naturally takes up are those of a left footer rather than a right footer. So I think it does change us a little bit um, in terms of build-up, not necessarily for better or worse, but maybe maybe some of the reason why he sometimes look like looks like he's struggling a bit is because he's not quite in the exact same place or body position that Phillips would be, so players aren't quite as used to it. Um, I, I know I know Jacob, when he said it, he was, he, he was saying it was speculation, but I do think it was quite an interesting point, so I, I, I thought it was worth uh taking a look yeah i think it's it's an important point to make i think you know naturally when you're when you when you're moving forward with the ball i mean obviously as the as the pivot he's moving backwards and forwards at various times so if he's if he's facing back towards goal dropping in and the ball's coming towards him his natural angle is back into the to the left back um whereas if he's going forward and and he's on the ball the natural angle is to the right wing um, although he does play it, he does sort of swing balls in quite a lot from from the um, from the into the left hand channel because I think when you're playing the pivot as well, often you'll run towards the sideline, the ball will come towards you quite quickly, and you can just hook your foot around it and play it down that channel. So I think I, I agree. I think the the the, the the style will change depending on who um, fits fits in there, and it may be that reason why maybe Koch would be preferable over over Strauch as a, as a defensive midfielder anyway, just because of the patterns that we're playing and the players will be more used to the balls coming in that way. Um, but just to clarify on the on the Strauch as a defensive midfielder position that that I have foisted upon me, I, I've always been of the opinion that Strauch is fine as a defensive midfielder. Um, I've never argued in any way that Strauch should replace Calvin Phillips as our defensive midfielder. In public. <laughs> Not in public, yeah. Um, <laughs> we did have a few questions on 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 Strauch anyway. So so Wiggy said, interesting that Bielsa brought on Pascal because he thought he would deal better with the way the game was being played, but also admitted we then missed KP's breadth of passing. Um, and then Jack Knowles said, both Koch and Pascal have now put in decent performances at defensive midfield, confirming to Bielsa we don't need to recruit a Calvin cover this summer. Um, and I, I guess, I don't know. I, I don't know where you guys are on this, but I kind of feel as though... I'm fed up of like fixing round holes with square pegs and just bashing them until until it works. Um, because the, the 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 problem is is if you're using someone like Koch 
or Cal, uh, or or Strout to to cover the defensive midfield position. The the problem is is that they're covering Calvin, a player who gets injured quite regularly, and then they're covering another player who gets re- regularly quite injured. So Yorente on one side and Cooper on the other, and I just I just sort of get a bit frustrated when we're like, well, you know, we've got this player who can fill in for four or five positions, just assuming that those positions won't ever get um, simultaneously injured. So I would still be wanting to bring in cover for Calvin um, this summer, but um, or at least in the next two windows or three windows if we're if we're including January. So I don't know if either of you two have got any thoughts on this. I think what you're saying makes sense in a world where we can just make as many transfers as we want, but <laughs> we don't live in that world. So I, for example, um, if it were a choice between getting a left back, a sort of attacking midfielder and a winger in the summer, like a right-footed creative winger or um, a left back and attacking midfielder, and cover for Calvin Phillips, I would definitely go for the winger. What about if you if it was posed as, do we bring in an under-23s player who can play in that position and sort of blood him so that he can be be used? Um, because that's kind of more what I'm thinking there, that we eventually do need to bring someone through who is going to be able to just be brought in um, at that level, but maybe maybe not quite at that level yet. That might be the plan. I mean, they have said that they're planning on making signings for the under 23s as well as the first team and that is definitely one area of the under 23 squad that I think is a bit weaker than um so you know we've got there's there are a lot of wingers and um and you know people who play wide in that squad and and two really good forwards but Jack Jenkins isn't quite physical enough I don't think at the certainly at the moment to sort of play that role and I don't think they really have an outstanding player in that. I, I mean I guess Noah Kenner is a uh, I, I haven't watched him a lot, but he plays there sometimes, doesn't he? Yeah, I'm not convinced on on knowing Kenner as a, an eventual successor. And I guess it's a, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because like you've got to bring someone in who's ready to play at that level, but you've also got to bring in someone who's okay to be developed at the 23s level. And it's really tough to get that balance right because usually a player who's good enough to play at the, the level is usually playing at a level which is above the 23s. So it's very very hard to balance those things off. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's why Gelhart was a really impressive signing last summer I think um, in terms of getting in there and buying a player who was playing semi-regularly in the championship but was still happy to come in and play under 23's football for us so if we could get a player like that I mean you know someone who's maybe playing for a financially strapped league one club or or you know someone in the championship or something it'd be ideal but I don't know if a player like that exists we had another question about sort of half-time changes so we had one from Udav who said why do you think Bielsa moved Ailing from right centre back to centre centre back? Um, Joe, have you any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think this one's pretty simple for me. Um, we've already discussed why Berardi came on, which is um, more of a sentimental reason than a tactical one. Um, so after that, you're obviously going to play Cooper as the left centre back because he's the only left footed one. And then it's just a choice between Berardi and Ailing. One of them centre centre back, one of them's right centre back. And I think Ailing is just being the more experienced uh, in the Premier League of the two of them. I think that was just the obvious choice. So for me, there was nothing more to it than that. Yeah, I think we would probably both agree with that. One final question on the second half stuff from L, who said, lovely to see Roberts finally get his goal. Do you think we'll see him stop trying to force it so much now and start making better decisions in the final third? Uh, I think Josh Hobbs pointed out the irony that despite the fact that Robert got his goal, it was after a series of of plays where he made terrible decisions in the final third. So probably not is the answer to that. But um, hopefully it will allow him to calm down a little bit. I don't know if, Tom, do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, it's a weird one because I think there was sort of a period where 
he was making much better decisions on the whole in the final third, but I do think the last few couple of games he has been trying to force it a bit more and you could see that he was really, really happy to finally get that goal uh, and, and I think the rest of the team were delighted for him as well. You could see Ailing running over with a big smile on his face. So I think it might it might allow him to just chill the fuck out a little bit. I think he does sometimes get himself into a bit of a tizzy in in these sort of uh, you know high pitch sort of situations so you never know it was an interesting goal as well wasn't it because it just sort of fell to him and he was able to play it around just sort of pass it into the into the net without really without really a huge amount of uh of effort and i think obviously mccarthy had, had made a save so we're still getting back up and i think he also used the defender a little bit to to hide the ball so um yeah interesting that you know he often tries to sort of melt the ball into the net um uh, but this time he he very much sort of played it calmly. So hopefully that might might be in his mind the next time he's in that sort of situation. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Right, I think we should move on to talk a little bit about West Bromwich Albion. Um, Obviously, we're playing them on Sunday at 4pm, I think, which I presume is when all the teams are playing at once. Um, But this week, I was lucky enough to talk to Grant Harrison, a West Brom fan, and this is what he had to say about the team. So, Grant, hi, how are you doing? Hey, John. Not bad, thank you, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. I'm a little bit intrepid coming into this one, given that you guys are going down, but hopefully we'll have uh, something to talk about. Yeah, as as an Albion fan, I'm pretty used to relegation now. It's uh, it's it's in it's in the blood for all of us, uh, our unfortunate Albion fans. Well, let's talk about the season. Obviously, it's not been the most ideal season. Uh, looking back over it, what are the overriding emotions for you as a, an Albion fan? It's probably a, a season that's you know can only really be construed as a as a wasted opportunity. I mean, it's a tricky off season with the quick turnaround from promotion to start in the. Uh, Starting the season and with the transfer window going on into October, I don't think it was the most ideal of preparations for us. So it, it's a shame to have, you know, come come up in such a dramatic way as we did on that last day of the championship season. Um, and then just to not really give it a go. But, you know, there's been a few bright points, as I'm sure we'll get on to. Yeah, I suppose the narrative arc for your season turns around the Slavin Bilic leaving and Sam Allardyce joining the uh, storyline. What do you make of that looking back from from here? Is it the case that, you know, the the, the disappointment that, you know, things became untenable with Bilic maybe Im- impacted the season more than you would have wanted to? Yeah, absolutely. I think you've hit the nail on the head there saying things became untenable with Bilic. I think they probably became untenable before the season even started. Um, some of the things that have come out in the press the past few months essentially said that Bilic was waiting to be sacked. He'd fallen out with 
the technical director and some of the higher ups at the club because he didn't feel he was being backed adequately. Looking at some of the recruitment, you can you can kind of say that Bilic was fixated on a few of the players that you know helped us get promoted. You Kravinoviches of the world that were great in the championship, but I think a few of the higher ups in the club thought maybe they're not quite cut out for the Premier League and. If you can see how the squad's changed since Allardyce has come in, you can probably say the people in charge at the Albion were, were right in Village. Unfortunately, it was wrong. What do you make to whether or not had that relationship not soured, how the season might have gone? Do you think it might be in a quite different season? I think playing squad and the budget that the Albion had, I think it was always going to be a bit of a struggle. I think we'd have probably seen um, quite a lot more open football under Village. I mean... When when things were sort of flying under Slav in the Championship, at sort of pre-lockdown, it was the most fun I've had watching Albion in a good few years. So there were some real, real highs under Bilic, but I think everything had just gotten so sour that he'd lost his way. The players had can't, probably had an inkling that he was on his way out. And, you know, had he stayed the whole season, I think the results would have been pretty similar, to be honest. And let's talk a little bit about Allardyce's time then. What have you made from him coming in? Because it's, it's, there's been some high points in, in that um, spell, hasn't there? Absolutely. I think you can kind of almost split the Allardyce era up into era. It's been six months. But the <laughs> Allardyce spell, as it were, into t- sort of two uh, two distinct parts. I mean, since the January transfer window closed, there's been marked improvement in the Albion. I mean, we've got some really good results. The football's actually not been bad. I know Village gets um, gets quite... An, not Village, Allardyce gets quite a lot of stick for his sort of basic football. But, you know, we've created chances. We've scored goals. It's not been too bad. But I just don't think you can wait till, you know, the start of February before you sort of function as a, you know, a proper Premier League side. I mean, some of the results early on in the Allardyce tenure, including the Leeds game, the Arsenal game, we, we were out of it within the first 10, 15 minutes. And, you know... For a club that's not got masses of goals in the squad, you, you just can't do that. And what does the future look like from here? Do you think Allardyce will stay in the Championship? Well, he's not been the kindest to me here. I was hoping when you uh, you arranged this chat with me, John, that he'd have given some sort of indication on his future. <laughs> um, I think we should know before the Leeds game. He said he'll announce it this week. If I were a betting man, I'd probably say he would stay. It sounds like he's you know fired up for the job. He's he was really animated on Sunday in that Liverpool game, even before Allison's wonderful header. Um, so I I think he you know he's he's got the, some of the players playing in a you know a way that's more to his liking. So I think he probably fancies a crack at getting the uh, getting the Albion back in the Premier League and writing the first relegation um, of his career off. To be honest. And how do you read his chances of, of doing that, getting Albion back in the Premier League? Well, as I mentioned, I've seen us relegated countless times. No matter how bad the relegation is, we always sort of find ourselves in the top six of the Championship. Us in Norwich, it seems to be where we live. Um, we'll have a really healthy budget going into next season, irrespective of selling players. So I, I would imagine there will be a, a promotion push. I'd imagine it will be dramatic. will never be easy. Um, but Allardyce, has, he's got... History of getting out of that division, and to be honest, there's some expensive players in our squad that have shown that they can thrive in the championship with Dean Garner, Grant Robinson. That's three lads who've shown they can play well and score goals, and if you can do that at championship level, you've, you're in with a shout. Well, let's start looking forward to the to the game on the weekend. What did you make of the last game between these two sides? I think the last game might have been the Nadir for the Livermore-Sawyers axis in the Albion midfield, which... 
you know, after about four months of Billich looked amazing and then just sort of tailored off, sort of cratering in that Leeds game, to be honest with them, with the Sawyer's own goal nice and early in that one. Um, it's a very different Albion side now. Um, that midfield has been reshaped completely. Um, okay, Yukushlu has come in, and to be honest, he's far too good for a side that are struggling like West Brom are. He's been a revelation in the centre of midfield, to be honest. Doing all the nice, simple things, winning the ball back, distributing it quickly to more creative players. Um, so, yeah, should hopefully, from an Albion perspective, be very different to uh, to last time around. Well, you mentioned there that the team is quite different. So talk us through the tactics of that change. What What's it going to look like on, on the weekend? It's an, it's an interesting one. Um, like I say, actually having a proper holding midfielder rather than Sawyers, who's a bit more of a deep-line playmaker. Never the most physical of players um, has helped a lot. Um, Pereira sort of having a free role in behind, um, well, since February it's been Diagne. Hal robson Carney obviously started on Sunday and did pretty much the same job um, as Diagne has been doing as that sort of lone target man and giving Pereira a bit more creative licence to to dictate the game and, you know, actually create chances, which I think when Allardyce came in, I think Pereira was a bit of a lost lost spirit at the Albion. He hadn't been happy. There's been a lot of rumblings about his contract situation, but for um, for him, Allardyce has been uh, quite freeing for him, I think, how he did with um, Jokaev and Akotcha at Bolton. He's sort of been able to unleash a really talented, creative player into um, a side that's probably a bit more functional than the one that played Leeds last time. I have an inkling that we talked about this last time, actually, but you do seem to move between a back four and a back three or five. Um, obviously, the back four is more regular, but I guess my question is, is, is this determined by the strength of the opponent or is there something more to it? And um, looking back over the last couple of months, I've noticed you went with a back three against Wolves and Fulham, so I'm guessing there's probably something more to that. Yeah, it's, it just is kind of dictated by the strength of the opponent. Uh, like it's, it's a bit of a strange one. Like You typically expect a back three against a side that's going to um, come at you more, like you, but against Liverpool on Sunday in a game that Liverpool had to win, we we played with the back four, um, and in all honesty, defended pretty well up until until the last half an hour or so. Um, so I would I would imagine we'll probably go with them um, with a back four on um, on Sunday against Leeds. It's it's very personnel dependent as well. I mean, the centre backs at the Albion have been quite well for a side that's 19th in the league and have conceded the amount of goals that we have it's it's not been a settled pairing of Bartley and Ajayi or Shea. it's um bit bit haphazard in terms of who Allardyce is actually going to pick but I would expect a back four um the fullbacks are settled now Connor Townsend has been excellent since Allardyce came in and provided a real attacking spark down that left-hand side with Furlong a little bit more reserved as Pereira plays ahead of him on the right you mentioned before that there have been some bright spots this season, so I'm, I'm interested in the bright spots in terms of specific players that you've been watching this season. So who who's impressed you this season? Yeah, the obvious one is Mateus Pereira. If um, if he drops down into the Championship with the Albion, he'll be easily the best player in that division, as he was 12 months ago. Um, immensely talented footballer, um, scores goals, creates goals. Um, it's a privilege to watch him, in all honesty. Um, for some of the more unheralded lads, as just kind of touched on Connor Townsend, who came in as a, you know, in his mid twenties from Scunthorpe, had never played at Championship level, didn't really impress me that much in the Championship. But this season in the Premier League, he's um, he's been excellent, which has been a real, really surprising sort of turn of events, to be honest. Um, Yukushlu, again, as I've touched on earlier, he's been excellent and will probably f- feature for another Premier League side next season. 
Um, so, yeah, there, there have been bright spots, just few and far between, unfortunately. Well, let's talk about the logistics of Sunday. How are you looking injury-wise at the moment? It's a full-strength side, to be honest, from an injury um, perspective. I think one of the things that we might see a bit more of is some of those lads who haven't played much over the course of the last few months. Dion Garner made his first start since January against Liverpool. Um, I'd imagine Carl and Grant will feature a little bit, whether that's from the bench like he did against Liverpool or from the start. I think Allardyce is going to use these last few games to um, to see what some of these lads are made of, to be honest. And if they have a future under, under him at the club, I'd imagine the likes of Dion Garner and Grant will just because of the, the fees spent on them and the pedigree they've shown in, in the championship in the past. So if you were to hazard a starting lineup on Sunday, what would it be? It'll be Johnston in goal, probably playing one of his la- probably playing his last game for the club before he moves on in the summer. Probably another one that's shown he's cut out for the Premier League and he's got a year left on his contract. So I imagine he'll have a nice farewell on Sunday. Um, back four, probably Furlong, Bartley, Ajayi, Townsend. Um, midfield, uh, Yukushlu, Phillips, uh, probably Ashley Maitland-Niles. Give him a nice send-off. He's somebody that... Had the fans been in the stadium, I think they would have really taken to him. Um, from some of the pieces that I've read the last few weeks, he's um, taken on a bit of a leadership role within the dressing room. It'd be nice to give him a good send-off. Um, and probably a front three with Diangana, Pereira, and probably be Hal robson Carney in, again, what may be his final game for the club. One of the questions I ask all of our guests is, which players need to perform well to beat Leeds? It will have to be Pereira. I think if you look at some of the stats, I think he's accounted for with either a goal or an assist 56% of the Albion goals this season we are as close to a one-man team as you can get offensively um, and probably Yukushlu in the centre of the park just breaking up play and making things difficult for some of Leeds more attacking players and on the other side of the team sheet which Leeds players worry you in particular well with Rodrigo's nice couple of goals at the weekend probably probably him I mean with the Albion defence and how we've played this season you know, everyone's a worry, to be honest. I mean, some of the games we've had against Leeds the past few years as well, they've been high-scoring affairs, so uh, it's uh, it'll be a tricky one, I think, for the Albion. And I never ask for predictions on this podcast, but I do ask for a, a sort of assessment of how the game will, will flow. So how do you expect the game to go on Sunday? I can see probably a high-scoring defeat, a 4-2 or something. So Leeds victory, but a couple of goals for the Albion, sign-off with... Bit of chaos to uh, to end, but it's been a pretty chaotic season, in all honesty. Well, Grant, it's always a pleasure having you on. What's the best way for our followers to catch what you're putting out football wise? Just on Twitter, it's Grant Harrison ninety one. Mainly, um, mainly beleaguered Albion tweets. There'll be some NBA tweets over the next few weeks, and obviously, as we head into the Euros, we'll uh, we'll be firing the takes off there as well. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. No worries, John. Cheers. So that was Grant Harrison, a West Brom fan. Joe Hill, we'll start with you. What sort of ideas were percolating around in your head when you were listening to Grant? Well, Grant was pretty honest about Pereira being their best player. Um, He didn't really hide that. So I just wondered uh, about our man marking system, because Pereira can play as a 10, but he can also drift out wide quite a lot. And I wondered if this is going to be one of the games where we just see Phillips man marking, or or whoever's the DM, um, man marking Pereira. 100% 100% of the time, whether Pereira's out wide, whether he's playing as a 10, dropping deep. Um, I can't remember if Phillips did that to Fernandez or whether they were rotating a bit in the Man United game, but 
Um, yeah, I wondered if we're going to see that or if we're going to see our usual uh, rotation man-marking system, let's call it, um, where if Pereira does spend five or ten minutes out wide that one of the fullbacks is going to take over that job. I guess the, the, the question we have to sort of answer before this is, do we think that there's going to be a sensible formation for Leeds? Like, do we think that is Phillips going to play, for example, or are we going to see any youngsters coming in? Um, because it, I guess it's, it's weird seeing all of the changes we saw made yesterday down at Southampton when it feels as though if you were going to make sort of sentimental changes, you would do that before, uh, well, in the final game of the season when you're in front of the fans. So um, what, what's your sort of take on that? Do you think that we'll see a, a regular lineup, or do you think there'll be a few weird tweaks in there I think there will be a few weird tweaks to be honest I think it will be more that the 11 and the regular bench players are rotated uh, more than he'll be playing Shackleton or um, someone that's never made an appearance for example I think it'll be more that maybe Strauch will play in DM um, we we know what the goalkeeping situation is going to be unfortunately um, maybe Rodrigo plays as a 10 again um, I think it'll be maybe Costa will play. I think it'll be little things like that, but um, I don't think it's going to be so big that um, there's going to be a random under 23s player suddenly making his first appearance. I'd be amazed if Costa plays with a broken back or whatever it is he's got. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> I, I did wonder actually if part of the reason why Bielsa made these sort of wacky changes in the Southampton game was because he considers it important to put on a serious performance in front of our home fans um, and, and and play our best available team then. Uh, it's just a thought. Do you think that we will see any youngsters played, Tom? I'd like to see Shackleton play. I don't know if we will. It feels unfair to me that Casilla gets two games um, ostensibly, you know, for being a me- good, you know, hardworking member of the squad, etc. And Shackleton doesn't. So I would like to see Shackleton start personally, just because I think he deserves the opportunity to do that after coming on for three minutes at the end of so many games and essentially, you know, doing what to me is starting to feel quite degrading. Uh, <laughs> him just sort of coming on for one minute to run out the clock. Uh, so it'd be really nice if he could start, especially if he could start in midfield and um, sort of try and. Show, show what he can really do in what he, I'm sure he probably still considers is his natural position. Um, other than that, I can't see like Gelhart playing or anything like that. So do you think that Phillips will be started then or do you think we'll see another return from Strauch or something? Or do you think they'll do half and half again? But yeah, it could be that. I mean, I think it's definitely one of those situations where if anyone's got an ever so slight knock, especially players that are going to be in national squads, I doubt Bielsa will risk them because... Uh, you know, we've already seen that he's, you know, he's given Click a week's rest at the end of the season, and Robin Cock. Um, so I wouldn't actually, yeah, I think, I think half and half, like the Southampton again, is probably what I would go for if I were to put a bet on it. Um, because again, I think he'll want, um, he'll want as many players as possible to get meaningful minutes in front of the fans. I think. What about yourself, Tom? What sort of ideas were running through your head? Obviously, West Brom. An already relegated Sam Allardyce West Brom in a sort of dead rubber against Leeds. It's not, there's not a lot serious to say. I just thought it was a shame to hear, uh, and I was quite surprised because I haven't watched them much recently, that, that Romain Sawyers hasn't been playing under Allardyce. Um, I looked it up and he's not played since I think it was the 16th of February. Um, and I always thought he was a really great player in the Championship, a really neat, tidy midfield player, a great passer of the ball. And it seems a shame for a player like that to just, I mean, if entirely predictable, because then it's not really Allardyce's kind of player, is it? But 
I always thought he could play in our team, certainly when we were in the championship in that sort of um, middle eight role that, that Forshaw used to play. Uh, so it just seems a shame for me that he's sitting on the bench somewhere rather than playing football. Yeah, I agree. And uh, it does seem to go back to that own goal that he scored against us uh, in that result. I think I was looking through the data recently and I think the XG on that is that game is like remarkably um it was a remarkably unfair result, if I if I remember correctly. I'll have a look at it now when when someone else is talking. But yeah, Joe, what's your take on on the, the Romain Sawyer's situation? Because obviously, Romain Sawyer's is a player who was actually linked with us quite a lot, maybe Bielsa's first season. So, um, what do you what do you make of the way that his career has gone? Yeah, I mean, to, I was sort of similar to Tom in that I hadn't really been paying too much attention to West Brom. I do agree that l- last season he looked really effective. Um, I thought he was one of the best players in their team and obviously it's a shame um if if he has been completely ostracized from the team like tom says but um yeah to be honest uh, i i don't really know what sawyer's uh, situation is or what allardyce is thinking because um i try not to watch too many interviews with sam allardyce otherwise i just get too annoyed and uh, yeah it the the brexit vibes just come off too strong <laughs> Yeah, I'm just looking at the FV logs and we put up 0.9 XG against West Brom last time around and we won 5-0. So more of that, please. <laughs> yeah, so let's talk a little bit about the, the structure anyway. Um, so it seems likely that, that West Brom will play 4-4-1-1 um, from, from what I can see. They have played through at the back, as I mentioned in the interview with Grant, but it doesn't seem likely that they'll do that. They've not done it very often and they've tended to do it against teams who play have played back threes, I think, and they've played against Chelsea, they played against Wolves as well. But I think it's pretty clear they'll play 4-4-1-1, which I think is basically a 4-2-3-1. I'm not entirely sure how they differentiate between the two, other than maybe they expect West Brom to defend a little bit more, so maybe they think their their wide players are a little bit deeper. But um, essentially it will be a double pivot in their midfield and Mateus Pereira in front of in front of them. And we've talked about this before, how that structure actually suits us quite nicely when we play in our four one four one, which is probably our better formation or better structure. So it, it's one of those games where you kind of think, yeah, it's it's going to suit us um, structurally. Yeah, so this is the this is the formation that they played against Liverpool. So they had I nearly said they had Allison in goal. That's the wrong team. So Johnson in goal, and as Grant said, probably his last appearance for them. But um, Townsend, Bartley, Ajayi, Furlong. As a back four, and then um, a, a double pivot of Conor Gallagher and uh, Yokozlu, um, and then the, the midfield three of Diangana, Pereira, and Phillips, and then Robson Carno up front. Yeah, I think you know this will probably will probably match them in midfield. We'll have our two eights on there, two uh, midfielders in the double pivot, and then our defensive midfielder on Pereira, and and then everyone else will slot in um, nicely. So in terms of the the personnel, I guess. Um, yeah, again, we've, we've talked a lot about this, but the, the questions do come down to who's actually going to be playing. Um, so let's assume that we have um, a back four. Let's assume that Alioski, uh, do we assume that Alioski and, and Ailing are going to be playing as, as fullbacks? I think so, yeah. Alioski never, re- like even in the cup, Alioski always plays because he doesn't want to be rested, does he? <laughs> Yeah. I think that's genuinely true. Like when you know when Bielsa has, has quite often in the past said, oh, "I've given the players a choice whether to play or not," and Alioski always chooses to play. <laughs> yeah, so we don't think there's any chance that we would see like Dallas dropping in at left back. He'll probably be. I think it's unlikely, especially given it. It probably will be Alioski's last game for the club as well. So you know he'll want to say goodbye to the fans. 
Yeah. And then in terms of the two central defenders again, are we are we assuming maybe a 50-50 split again of maybe, I guess, Cooper. Did Cooper play the full 90? Yeah. Yeah, he did. So. so maybe maybe we'll see Cooper again just because I suspect that the Scotland team will want to see him getting match fit before uh, the Euros start. But then again, with Llorente, we may see 45 from him and then, and then Berardi again. Um, anyone got any other suggestions in that front? No, I think it probably will be that, but... Um... Unless I don't know if we've seen any, I haven't seen any of the post-match um, media stuff. Was was there any suggestion that possibly Urense could have been injured, or did anyone ask that question? I don't think so. I think the the general assumption was that the two players that came off at half time are two players who are likely to play in the Euros. Um, although I'm yeah, I'm not sure about Urense playing in the Euros because I know that Amaric Laporte has just. Um, changed his allegiances to Spain so it'll be interesting to see what happens there although I guess Laporte is a left-sided centre-back so um, I'm, I'm not entirely sure about the the Spanish situation with centre-backs at the moment but they've got Sergio Ramos is back now isn't he so I'm guessing he's a starter and then it will depend on um, where they go from there. Um, then I guess we've talked about the central defensive midfielder um, and I guess again it probably will be just Phillips first half maybe Strauch second half Um Midfield, I suppose, is, is up for grabs, especially given... Pablo Hernandez, please. <laughs> oh, yes. Do you think that's likely? I will be really disappointed if he doesn't come on, at least, or if he doesn't play some part in the game. I think he deserves it. Um, he's not had a proper chance to celebrate with the fans after, you know, there the, the, the were times um, in the Championship where it felt like Pablo Hernandez was Leeds United. He was that important. So it would... It would be very, very a very sorry situation, I think, if he left in the summer without getting some minutes, uh, in, you know, in this final game in front of fans. Yeah, agreed. And uh, I've just been listening back to our season's preview uh, podcast, just prepping for like a season review. We were really high on Pablo. We thought he was going to get loads of goals. We thought he was going to be great. And uh, yeah, it hasn't worked out that way. So it would be lovely to see him. If Pablo does play, who plays alongside him, do you think? Probably Dallas is my guess. Joe, would you agree with that? I think it will be Dallas and Roberts, and I think Pablo will come on. Um, and I think I would, I'd almost prefer that if if Pablo came on in the second half because it means he gets that moment where it's all about him when he's coming on, and everyone recognises that rather than him starting and being hooked at half time, for example. I just think that wouldn't have the same effect. Was it the weird John Terry moment? Did they bring him off like ten minutes to go or something <laughs> to make it? Do you remember that? Yeah, wasn't it like something to do with his shirt number? Like he. Oh yeah, they brought him like, off on his it, shirt number or something. Yeah, like, yeah. Thirty-five minutes to go or something because his shirt number was something like that. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, that was at the end of his career. That was funny. Uh, those were the days, wasn't it? When they, those are the things we worried about. Yeah, and then I, I suppose in terms of wide players, Harrison and uh, Rafinha. I don't think. I, I suppose we might see if a start from Perveda. I don't know. I, I doubt it. Perveda's probably another one who, you know, if if we could make five or six subs, he's another one who probably deserves to get some minutes. But I, I, th- I feel like I've said that about so many players now that <laughs> it's it's literally impossible. And then I, I suppose the the other one is: do we have Bamford starting or do we have Rodrigo starting? I I wouldn't be surprised to be honest if we have Rodrigo in the centre midfield again and Bamford ahead of him. No, me neither, to be honest. I feel like Bielsa's like trying his best to force that to work, um, being a little bit bloody minded about it. In the same way, he's being a little bit bloody minded about starting a certain um, certain goalkeeper, despite the fact the majority of the fan base don't want him to. So Bamford surely going to want every chance he can to score more goals to to sort of push 
push himself closer to 20 goals. I doubt it's, he's going to score four or whatever it is he needs to get to 20, but you never know. I just wonder if, um, will the England squad have been announced by then? Uh, yeah, likely. A lot of the squads have been announcing today, so I suspect it will be out before then. I just wonder if um, if Bamford does somehow get included in that, whether that might mean that he would be less willing to play through any little niggles or... Or he might, he, you know, he might be offered a rest as well, if that's the case. Yeah, I, I just suspect that given that, for example, Robin Koch clearly knew he was being selected like way before the squads were announced. I suspect that Bamford would probably know that he'd been selected by now, but maybe maybe that's just naive on my part. Let's just round out, as we always do, with the question about who needs to play well. So, Tom Woodhead, who do you think needs to play well at the weekend? Pablo Hernandez. <laughs> Yay. End of answer. Yeah. Okay, Joe. I, I guess you agree. Yeah, of course. That would be <laughs> that would be fantastic. I just I just want to see one more nutmeg, and then I'll be happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's really that important that anyone plays well at the weekend. If I'm entirely honest, but uh, here we are. Uh, it's been a great season, and it, a top half finish is remarkable and, and impressive. So I think it'd be it'd be nice for the fans to just get to enjoy uh, a game with the players there and. Um, yeah, it will be a, hopefully a, a, an entertaining game for those fans, given it's the only game that they'll get to see this season in, in the flesh. But there we are. Um, and then in terms of how the game will pan out, Joe, inshallah, does anyone have any idea what's going to happen? <laughs> I've got no clue. I mean, <laughs> you just you just don't know who's going to play. You don't know what Bielsa's thinking. Um, but I mean, it, what I will say is that this is this game is certainly there if we want it to. It's there for the taking. Um, we we beat them five nil away. Um, West Brom are already relegated. They've really not looked that good this season. Um, obviously, <laughs> I could be completely underestimating how how geared up they will be for it. But playing, we you know this is the only game we've played this whole season with our fans. Um, it's just all laid out, and I just really pray that we put on a good show and that the fans uh, all get behind them. And it's just a a day of good fun all round, and we win. Uh, 4-0 and Bamford gets all four goals so he can reach the uh, 20, <laughs> 20 goal milestone the last time we played the last game of the season was against a relegated team and we ended up winning that one pretty comfortably it was 4-0 wasn't it so there you go maybe it will happen uh, Tom did you want to add anything no not really I think I mean yeah I just hope it's it's an emotional uh, fun occasion for all involved It'll be very sad to see Pablo go. Uh, he's been a real joy for us. I know that last season he was a very, very bright light in a very bright season for us. So it'll be sad to see him go. But he's been, he's been great for this this club, and especially in those dark, dark days of Gary Monk Leeds when Pablo was like the only entertaining player that we had. Seemingly, um, it's it's really sad to see him go. So um, if you're going to the match, do enjoy yourselves, cheer for us as well, and uh, please don't boo when they kneel. I guess this is the, the last preview we're going to do. So, yeah, thanks thanks for listening into our previews, guys. Uh, we'll be back next season with more previews, but for, for a little while, this is the last one. As always, if you like what we do and you want to get more of it, then head over to our Patreon channel. We are starting a mini-series, Autos List is what it's called, where we do so, sort of 20-minute episodes on players that we're linked with who we think um, are, are decent options for us. So we've just put one up today about Matthias Cunha, the uh, Brazilian player who plays for Hertha Berlin in the Bundesliga. Liga. so if that sounds interesting to you then head over to our patreon uh, that's www.patreon.com forward slash all stats aren't we but with that we arrive at the end of the podcast and all there is for me to do is to say thank you tom thank you and thank you joe cheers and we'll see you in a few days time
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 